You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Beauty, one of the consumer categories hit hardest by the global coronavirus pandemic, will bounce back fastest, experts predict. The beauty industry has been resilient in the past. The beauty market, which generates $500 billion in sales, according to consulting firm McKinsey, is set to surpass 2019 sales despite the pandemic setbacks. Fashion, meanwhile, is not expected to recover into 2022, McKinsey predicts. The prestige beauty segment has perked up as well. According to the NPD Group, sales in the U.S. amounted to nearly $4.9 billion in the second quarter of this year, a jump of 66% from Q2 last year and 6% in a more normalized pre-pandemic 2019. But what is this comeback story for the beauty industry going to look like when it returns? Trends like clean beauty, inclusive products, and digital sales are now the guiding principles for brands. The beauty industry, as with most retail businesses, was forced to rethink their pre-COVID-19 approach and reimagine customer engagement in an entirely new context during the pandemic that will set the tone for the shopping experience for years to come. My guest today on The Luxury Item is a leader that's shaping the future of the beauty industry. Leticia Roust is General Manager at Yves Saint Laurent Beauty U.S., where she is responsible for guiding the overarching strategy of the brand and accelerating growth in the U.S. market. Before she was promoted to this position, Leticia was the Chief Digital Officer for Maybelline New York, another L'Oreal company, where she defined the global digital strategy of the number one cosmetic brand in the world and oversaw program rollouts in over 50 markets. And prior to joining L'Oreal USA in 2013, Leticia spent four years at Google, first in Paris as the head of consumer marketing, then in Hong Kong as the regional lead for consumer marketing, leading marketing efforts for search and client products across Asia Pacific. Welcome to the luxury item, Leticia. Hi, Scott. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. So I want to jump right into this. You know, you were promoted in August 2020 to general manager Mm -hmm. of Yves Saint Laurent Beauty US from Maybelline Worldwide, where you were the chief digital officer there. So what were you tasked with when you joined Yves Saint Laurent Beauty? Yeah, um, I mean, as a country GM, country general manager, the role is always, always to grow the business, to to adapt to the go-to-market strategy locally. And um, and to have you know the most relevant offer, but um, I think in the case of YSL, there were like three three specifics. One, it was really to modernize our marketing, uh, you know, embracing the digital shift, accelerating e-business, having a true omni-channel, as we say, uh, approach. Then two, for YSL, it was to grow all of our categories. We have fragrance, makeup skincare, we, we we want to grow all these categories to become a true beauty brand, not just a fragrance brand. Mm-hmm. And then three, um, I think it's continuing to work on, on the brand equity. It's it's more and more important. We want this brand to be edgy. We say, you know, we live by a mantra. We always say young, edgy, luxury. So mm-hmm. how do we continue working on this and how, what does edgy mean, mean in the US, for instance? So yeah, and you joined at a time when amid widespread quarantine, social distancing, and mask-wearing requirements, beauty customers were changing their spending habits and flocking online, and companies mm-hmm. accelerated their e-commerce strategies with online sales growth. So how did your digital experience help navigate YSL Beauty's pandemic playbook at the time? Um, I think beyond purely technical skills like um, understanding e-commerce, mastering online content, 
my, my background gave me a good understanding of all the consumer touch points. And you know, the consumer will experience the brand through many elements, like an Instagram post, a video, a mailer, an event in the street, a sample, and so on. So I think it's this ability to, to see just, to see past the store shelf and have um, the full expression of the line, of the, of the brand uh, online, in real life, and being focused on creating a consistent image, a consistent story throughout all these touch points. I mean, the behaviors have changed. So what were some of the interesting beauty consumer behavior patterns and trends that emerged amid COVID-19? And which ones do you think will stick? Most of the behaviors like we've all talked about, you know, um, the, the rise of e-commerce, the, the, the more complex path to purchase, the, the emergence of a new type of influencers, like all these behaviors, I think they were here before. They were here before COVID and the pandemic just really accelerated them. But there is one, I must say, in beauty that really surprised us. It's uh, the growth of fragrance. And mm. I don't think we saw it coming. The, the, the growth of fragrance is totally remarkable. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of brands that have more than doubled their business in the last year. And, um, and it's true that at the beginning, you could understand, like when COVID started, like, you know, we saw a lot of shifts towards self-care, self-expression. So you you had this time of sensory deprivation and suddenly mm -hmm. scent was actually really more evocative. It was all about like uh, feeling good, not so much looking good. Right, but it was self-care. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But what's, what's really interesting is that now that we're going out again, that social events have started again, um, it's sticking. Like people have turned to fragrance and they don't seem to uh, reduce their consumption. So it's a true shift in the behavior. It's also a lot of younger people uh, reaching for fragrance as, as a way to express themselves. So it's really exciting to see um, such new energy in a category. And I think it's here to stay. Did you see any patterns in, in terms of how the types of fragrances that consumers were using at the beginning of the pandemic, things that perhaps brought back memories, you know, more traditional ones yeah. and maybe coming out of it, experimenting more? Yeah, totally. I think it's been on both ends of the spectrum. Like, I think they started with like somewhat lighter, more subtle fragrances at first, but then we now see the rise of more intense fragrances. So it's also like, I think people are more daring, they're experimenting more. And um, overall, the, the, the whole market is slightly shifting. And also people are mixing fragrances, having more fragrances on their shelf than they used to have. So it's becoming a true, a true staples in beauty now. And the beauty industry is expected to reach like $463 million by 2027. And young consumers have considerable stake in that growth. And Gen Z seems to be single-handedly shifting the industry. So what yeah. have you learned about this next generation and what they want from beauty brands and beauty products? Yeah, we're all all focused on on, on the infamous Gen Z and, and uh, we're, we're all trying to learn as much as we can on this generation. Um, I think it's... A it's an extremely demanding generation. I think they're very knowledgeable about formulas, about makeup techniques. Um, they want no nonsense. They require authenticity. So it's a big word, authenticity. We always use it. But I think even more than authenticity, it's like they are activists. They want meaning, inclusivity, diversity, you know, sustainability, social engagement. And all of that applies to beauty. And they, they're just at the beginning of their makeup routines, beauty routines. So they're, they're still learning and they, 
they can, they want to experiment. So there's a, a, a lot, you know, there's a lot of demand for clean products. The way they shop is different. It's not just transactional. They, they're really trying to align themselves with the brand's image, the, the values, the beliefs. So I think as an industry, we have to do a better job of telling not just a product story, but really a, a brand story. And it's, it's one of our big priorities at, uh, at YSL. And how does YSL Beauty stay relevant with this audience who really split their time between the digital and real life worlds and have strong beliefs, like you said, in activism, positive messaging, sustainability yeah. and inclusive inclusivity? Well, first, I mean, the, the, the fashion house, the couture brand, I mean, has uh, this sort of modernity in its DNA. I think uh, it's, it's always been a modern brand. Just some examples, you know, like uh, Monsieur Saint Laurent, like he created the first tuxedo for women. So think about gender fluidity. He was one of the, uh, the, the first designer to embrace diversity on the runway. So I think it's in the it is in the equity of the brand. And of course, beauty, YSL beauty is totally focused on staying relevant um, and relevant to this young audience. So for us, we're obsessed with inclusivity in our content. Like we, we we made it a priority in our latest launch, like this range called New. We have a lot of faces, a lot of stories, that really representation at scale. We're building a robust sustainability program. We, we have um, commitment to an important cause called Abuse is Not Love, which is about intimate partner violence prevention. So we know it's it's not only about beautiful products and um, we have a, a responsibility, I think, to do to do more, to do better. Yeah, and you were just mentioning YSL Beauty just launched uh, a brand new range of makeup skincare hybrid products, the new collection, NU, and it was created with Gen Z, for Gen Z. So tell us a little bit about that launch of that collection and the strategy and thinking behind it. Yeah, it's um, it's our first like uh, makeup and skincare hybrid collection. So it's uh, it's basically products that you know you can use for makeup, but they're also good for your skin. So you have a skin tint, a face balm, a lotion, like and so on. And new uh, in French, it means naked. And I think it was the idea to create a line that has nothing to hide. You know, that doesn't hide the specificities of your skin doesn't hide any nasty ingredient. And, and, and on top of that, it's really, um, we're using recycled material. Each product formula is infused with sustainable ingredients. Everything we mentioned, everything we discussed before about uh, this Gen Z generation looking for meaning, looking for no nonsense, we have it in this line. And we've, we're very proud of this uh, new, new launch for us. Yeah, and, and new being naked in French, I would assume that the, it's about transparency too. Absolutely. Transparency in, you know, in the ingredients, in the packaging, etc. Transparency even of the formulas itself. These are formulas that are non-covering. Like basically we say, my skin, my signature is the motto for, for this line. And it's this whole idea that, you know, you can, you can flaunt your imperfection. And, and that is also uh, a very Gen Z approach and, and, and uh, something we're very aligned with. Yeah, and I was reading that each product in the new collection includes at least one ingredient from the female-led, is it Aurica Community yeah, Gardens? Aurica yeah. Community Gardens Botanicals. Can you explain what the Aurica Gardens is and how YSL Beauty taps into this community? So it's um, it, it's a garden that was uh, that the brand owns, and it was created in uh, 2013. It's located in Morocco, uh, near Marrakech, in the Atlas Mountains. This area is very close to the brand's history because uh, Yves Saint Laurent had a home there. He was he's actually buried there. And so giving back to this special place was, um, you know, always in our mind. It's a botanical garden. 
and where we grow in a sustainable way more than 200 botanical species that we can then use in our products. It's, a, it's an interesting, sustainable experience. And in addition to that, it's managed by 33 women that are coming from the local community. So there's mm. also this idea of uh, giving back to the community and, and making sure we provide for these women that are working there. Is that communicated to the uh, the consumers? Do they Are they aware of that? It's a long-term thing because when you think about it, we started in 2013. It took a few years to even like plant and grow the botanicals. So we're literally in the first year of um, more active communication about this. And uh, we will communicate more and more. And it's also the beginning of our sustainability program. But we're very proud that we... You know, we started a few years ago, and, and I think it's it's this idea of something that could that could be very long term and that will continue evolving in the coming years. And you said in an interview that the new brand campaign features a community of ambassadors who, quote unquote, embody this new generation of beauty. Who are these ambassadors, and how will they be used to promote the brand? Yeah, for for new, we felt that it was important to break our usual um, model. Of featuring one or two spokespersons. So we this time we recruited like almost 40 ambassadors and we call them the, the new collective. And so it's a group of, you know, amazing talents that are musicians, artists, DJs, um, activists. It includes like um, a TikTok star like Ricky Thompson. So they all represent diverse communities. They're all very relevant to this Gen Z world. And we want these ambassadors to use their voice to talk about new uh, in an authentic way on the platform they want. So we've created together a lot of content. And in this content, you know, they share their own vision of makeup, their story, their values. So it's, I think it's more organic. It's more fluid and integrated. It's less scripted than a traditional like spokesperson relationship. And for that re- reason, I think it's a it's a very uh, interesting experiment for us to see, you know, how we continue to use these voices and how they help us with this launch and and explain the the, the product messages, etc. How is it going so far? What has been the reaction from from uh, customers? It, it's going great. I mean, we we just launched in uh, mid August, so it's uh, the very very first weeks. Right. But what uh, is super interesting is the reviews are great. So I think the first oh, thing we did well. Uh, they're all above, like, you know, we always look at this five-star review that we need to have. So when we are above like 4.5, 4.6, and we're clearly above that mark, we're all very happy. And it's, uh, we're talking about thousands of reviews. So it's a, for us, it's a great sign. And I think it's important because that's the first step. You know, you start with great product, quality product, and then the whole story will come around it, the whole experience. If you don't have a product, then you have nothing. So it has to be the first, first step. And many legacy brands, including Yves Saint Laurent, have been challenged to rethink their once traditional marketing strategies through the lens of the social consumer, while still remaining true to, mm-hmm. you know, what has made their brand a coveted household name decade after decade. What is YSL Beauty's approach to winning over younger audiences on social media? Yeah, we were clearly very, very focused on social media. So for us, it's, you know, the right media mix. Social media is very included in our all of our media plan. It, it's a growing portion of our investment. So it, it starts with that. But more importantly, it's the right content. We're obsessed with creating content that is native to each platform. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we would do a board on Pinterest, we'd do a, a, a before after video on, on, on Facebook, maybe a special lens on Snap, a more polished look on, IG, on Instagram. So 
and, and then it's the right platform. So of course, most beauty brands uh, started on on Instagram. It's also more of a natural fit for these brands because on Instagram, everything is a little bit more curated. You can control a little bit more. So we have great success there. We have um, you know nine million followers, so that's great. But now we also have to stay very close to the next platform. So obviously TikTok, <laughs> our next right. obsession, and TikTok requires a, a very different approach. You know. On TikTok, you, you first you identify creators that have a, a strong affinity to your brand, to your values, and you build a relationship with them, and and then you give them the space, the freedom to express themselves in their own way. And and it's a it's a big departure from what a brand would generally right. want to control. So I think that's super interesting, and we're we're and all super learning. scary. I'm sure it's a little scary it's, too when you sort of have, have sort of hand over that control yeah. you know, to the brand to uh, someone on TikTok. It's, it's very scary, but it's at the end of the day, it's very exciting. And we're um, you know we're always also ready to to pilot new programs, to learn new ways of of, of working. You know, uh, just recently we did um, a custom lens uh, in, in Snap. So that's another way that, you know, uh, Gen Z are consuming content right now. You'll just apply a filter and you want to be one of these filters. We did a, an ad with a virtual try-on in YouTube. So basically, as you were watching the ad, you could apply the virtually the, the lipstick on your, on your lips. We're all into um, test and learn piloting with uh, our, our media, our social media partners. And once we understand a little bit better, then then we go big and and, and fast because it's uh, that the whole landscape is changing so fast, honestly. And with the brand name firmly anchored in the famed designer and fashion house, Yves Saint Laurent Beauty seems to have managed to carve out a space for itself. How does the brand position itself and, and how much of it leans into the halo of Yves Saint Laurent, the designer and the roots of the fashion house? So our, our mission at YSL Beauty is right. to give people audacity, confidence, and power to live lives, to live their lives by their rules, and to be the change. And so I think it's this idea of freedom, of self-expression, of embracing the change. And it's very rooted already in the in, in the fashion brand, in the, the DNA of the brand. And Monsieur Saint Laurent used to say, uh, I contributed to changing my era. I think it's, it's very true today. Uh, Anthony Vaccarello, he continues to push the boundaries of fashion in everything he's doing. So again, for us, it's extremely important to have uh, a consistent message. And the fashion house was built on very strong and modern values. And it's critical for beauty to be totally in sync and, and to embody the same values. It seems that the distance between luxury and mass beauty has shrunk over the last decade, thanks to the digitalization of the market and the rise of, you know, these middle of the road chains like Ulta, et cetera, making it crucial for companies to meet them at various price and touch points. Do you see a redefinition of what luxury means in beauty and how does that affect the way YSL beauty products are sold? Yeah, I think luxury be luxury is evolving, but I do believe that most of the fundamentals are staying, like quality of the formula in our case, you know, quality of the texture of the fragrance, actual results, beautiful packaging, all of this will, will always be here. But then on top of that, you add uh, the experience that is getting more and more important. You want to have the best advice in store. You want to have educational content online. Sometimes you want like AI tools to help you choose the shades. Like you want personalization, wrapping. 
at the end of the day, it's luxury is becoming broader in a way. It's not just beautiful products. It's this whole experience around it. It's the the set of values, the commitments, etc. For for me, that's the evolution that we're see that that we're seeing. So it, maybe maybe it it goes a little bit out of uh, the shop and the store where it first was, and it means that luxury can be a little bit everywhere and and can be more and more in the streets because about this experience. Do you think Gen Z has a more um, democratized view of what luxury is? Yeah, I think, I don't know if democratized is the right is the right word. I think Gen Z are deciding what they see, what they want to see as luxury. Right. So, and for them, they're, they're forcing luxury to uh, go in the direction that they want. So I think it's more that. I think they're influencing luxury because, uh, because they are this activist force that we, that we talked about. And in beauty, as in other categories, the future of retail is omnichannel. The role of the store will change. It'll be more about curation, personalization, and experience rather than just the transaction. What are the most exciting examples that come to mind when you think of, about the possibilities for brick-and-mortar beauty retailers? For us, it's again, it's all about bringing this full YSL experience into the store. So how do you inject life in the stores? Um, it can be, you know, just last week we had a DJ... Uh, at Sephora and Soho because uh, it, it was part of our launch moment. So it's bringing entertainment. It can be personalization in a lot of our stores, corners, like we have um, UV printers, engraving machines to customize the products. You can also create products that are only available in store and that these, these exclusivities are extremely interesting too. So how do you bring the excitement to the store? And of course, you know, Sustainability, we have um, on fragrance more and more, we have refillable stations. So you can just bring your old glass bottle and it will be refilled. We constantly need to reinvent the store and give people a reason to actually come to the store. You know, brick and mortar is doing great right now. So it's not that it's so difficult to drag people to the store. I think right. we just, um, we, we, we need to continue doing it, but there's already a reason why people want to see the physical objects and it's, it's, it's just about reinventing and constantly innovating in store, but um, it's, I think it's very doable and it's very necessary. So despite the mainstream appeal of gaming for brands across the consumer spectrum, the beauty industry has yet to infiltrate the metaverse in quite in the same way <laughs> that fashion and music have. What are your thoughts on incorporating virtual makeup products and games and using it as content commerce vehicle? We're huge advocates of Modiface, for instance, which is a, a virtual try-on tool right. that is already integrated on most of our websites and with many retailers. And so you can try virtually makeup through Modiface. So you choose whatever product you want on video, like as you're filming yourself on camera, like you can apply uh, the lipstick, the, the foundation you want. So we, we believe in um, virtual makeup first as a tool uh, to help you eventually buy real makeup. But then what you're mentioning is also even going beyond that is like um, creating a, a digital identity, you know, like uh, when you think of Twitch, of like uh, the NFTs right now, like mm -hmm. Fortnite, there's so many opportunities and, and we're definitely exploring. I see no reason why beauty is not going to be the next category to be there. You know, you can push really interesting beauty looks. You can even try to think what uh, digital fragrance would be? You know, what does it mean to smell in the metaverse? So I think there's a lot of very interesting questions there. Are there any beauty tech platforms that you're excited about now? You know, social selling and live stream are, are huge in China and other Asian markets, but it really hasn't taken off that much in North America. Any other beauty tech platforms you 
sort of have your eye on? You know, in a way, we're still, I think we're still trying to crack TikTok. And, in, and, uh, and for me, it's, it's, um, we've made progress there. It is almost a beauty tech platform that is, to me, the most interesting right now. It's, it's completely changing uh, the, the, the influencer world. People are definitely buying after they see and discover products on TikTok. So, and, and the rules, as we said before, are completely different. So I think there's still so much to learn and to, um, to try with TikTok. Uh, for, for now, I would say we're still very focused there. And sustainability is a hot topic across virtually every sector, but it's become a particularly important conversation within beauty and personal care, an industry with replenishable products historically featuring mm -hmm. single-use packaging. I know sustainable packaging is a key commitment for the L'Oreal Group. Can you share some of the ways YSL Beauty is participating in the in the group's sustainability ambitions? Yeah, L'Oreal has um, a, a really huge co uh, commitment on sustainability with a, a program called L'Oreal for the Future. Of course, YSL is folded into, is included into this program. We also have our YSL for the future program. So it's it's really trying to uh, rethink entirely the way we conceive, produce our products to, to reduce the environmental footprint. So for um, for the new range that we discussed earlier, you know, it's designed with recyclable material. It's infused with ingredients sourced from our own gardens. When you look at our bestseller fragrances right now, they uh, all of them use uh, ingredients that are solidarity sourced, sometimes exclusively crafted for YSL. And if you think about uh, gift sets, for instance, you know, the, the boxes yep. that we that we sell around Christmas, we are one of the first brand uh, starting this year to entirely remove plastic from these boxes. Hmm. And it will be cardboard only uh, with a lot of recyclable materials there. We're reducing the packaging weight. We're suppressing the leaflet inside. So... It's just the beginning. It's we're never going fast enough and we want to go faster, but we're really, really committed to moving the needle very fast. And sometimes it's scary. You know, you talk about gift sets. It's a huge time of the year in terms of sales. We're coming with a smaller box. It doesn't have the plastic inside, so you can't really open to show the products. So at first you're a little bit scared, but we discussed it with our retailer partners and everybody was very supportive. So I think it's also... You have to start somewhere, and from there you uh, have to scale as much as you can. And it's 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 our responsibility to, to do to do this and to do it fast. You know, I've been noticing, unless it's my imagination, that uh, pop-up shops and experiences have been a key part of YSL Beauty's marketing strategy in recent years. You know, from the YSL Beauty station that looked like a retro gas station in Coachella mm -hmm. to the uh, Experiential Beauty Hotel in Paris in New York City, a pop-up that featured uh, AR face recognition technology. Are you aiming for those massive social media posts and engagement with those uh, with those pop-up shops? I mean, we're never against it, but I don't think it's so much about <laughs> the, the massive social media engagement. It's also about you know being where the consumer is creating more proximity again offering this full brand experience it's a playful angle and it's a, you know it's a very unconstrained way to to show what YSL can be and do so i think it's important to continue to do these pop-ups like we we just hosted one in september in new york for for the launch of new there is passion for that there is a consumer demand we we can't ignore and i think especially after 18 months of virtual events. We can't wait to continue this. It's for me, it's a good testing ground. It's like, it's not necessarily something that is at scale because it's still limited to 
a certain number of people that can attend during that day. But it's, uh, it's this idea of like, testing new things, seeing if we were totally unconstrained, like what would YSL beauty look like? So I I feel that there's a lot to learn by by doing this kind of uh, pop-ups. Well, I know there's a lot of things on your agenda right now. What is the one thing you are focusing on the most for the rest of this year and going into next year? (laughs) We're focusing on the consumer. (laughs) Like I think we're obsessed, uh, and you've understood it, we're obsessed with what we call here consumer centricity. It's like really forcing ourselves to think more and more from the consumer point of view than from a brand point of view. And um, it's a change in mindset. It's probably even more a change of mindset for, for a luxury brand, for a luxury brand, but um, it's our obsession and it's, um, I, I think it's guiding our um, activities and our, our objectives right now. So my final question, Leticia, which I ask all my guests is the luxury item question. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what luxury item would that be? It can't be any form of air transportation. It can't have anything that requires mobile service. It's just you, a bunch of palm trees, (laughs) uh, just sand and surrounded by water. What would that one luxury item be? that you would like to have? um, I I don't know if if it qualifies as luxury, but I think it's a little bit of a boring answer, but it would be a book. I think, you know, a very big book, ideally, something that will keep me busy for a long time. Uh, For me, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably because it's a luxury to me to have time to read a book. Um, but, uh, I think it's also the luxury of, you know, of, of, of knowledge of like, uh, of like learning something. So any book, but a very long one with a very little writing, like tiny, tiny letters. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> we've, we've had uh, book answers before, so it's, it's not oh, unusual. Sure. And it's this whole idea of, you know, finally having a piece, some peaceful time with yourself and, yeah, and your exactly. book. Leticia Roust, General Manager at YSL Beauty US. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.